this is some of the feedback that we've gotten from our families in particular, that they feel isolated from the healthcare system. You know, once they're discharged, it's from the hospital. It's like, you're on your own, call so-and-so, call so-and-so. And so what we're trying to do is support them and their well-being. And then finally, you know, really create a partnership and a connection between the clinical care provider team, as well as the parent and the child. And it's not, it's even deeper than empathy. It is really about recognizing that this person has values and intent and um, has a worthwhile perspective that needs to be incorporated into the care planning. As you know, if you've listened to previous episodes of the podcast at Point Health, we are focused on making healthcare easy to find, easy to understand, and easier to afford. As we launched Point Health, we wanted to share what we learned during the process of building the company. So we started this podcast where we are lucky enough to talk with some of the best minds in healthcare and technology to get their advice on how we can make the biggest difference. Today, I am here with my colleague, Stephanie Palowski, and we are very excited to be joined by Kathy Carberry, Assistant Professor at the Dell Med School and Outcomes Program Officer at the Value Institute for Health and Care. Thanks for joining us, Kathy. Thank you for having me, Stephen and Stephanie. It's really a pleasure to be here. And thanks, Stephanie, for joining as well. I'm excited to have you on as the co-host, too. Thanks, Stephen. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's do a little overview on Kathy um, so everyone knows a little more about her, and then we'll just jump into some questions. Uh, and side note, Kathy was my professor at <laughs> Institute, so this is kind of fun getting to interview her. And you know, in the past, I, I think I had to do all the, I had to submit all this, all the assignments to you, and you got to grade my work. All right, well, um, <laughs> let's see. So Kathy is uh, serves as the Outcomes Program Officer at the Value Institute for Health and Care. She has been a registered nurse for twenty years, focused on pediatrics, cardiac critical care and outcomes measurement implementation for a variety of medical conditions, which we'll talk a lot about in this conversation. Uh, prior to joining the Value Institute, she was the founder and director of the Texas Children's Hospital Outcomes and Impact Service that was dedicated to helping patients, families, and clinicians make better healthcare decisions using outcomes information. Uh, she is also a recipient of the Healthcare Informatics Innovator Award and the Good Samaritan Foundation Excellence in Nursing Award. Um, and in general, it, Kathy is just a, a good Samaritan and does lots of great things. And we'll talk a little bit about that as well. So maybe to start out, um, you know, going back to your your early, early years, it seems like you maybe were focused on healthcare from a, a young age. I know you started out with a focus on biology at Southwestern um, before ultimately graduating with your BS in nursing at UMHB. My best friend played basketball there. He's a big uh, crew oh fan. So he he'll if he listens to this, he'll he'll probably message me. Um, but could you tell us a little bit about that? Your experience there. What made you want to go into that? And kind of your you know your your experience in uh, getting into healthcare. Sure. Thank you, and um, thank you for the introduction. I um, always liked science, so I was kind of that nerdy kid that had the. Um, microscope in my room and would just spend hours looking at things under the microscope because I was curious to learn. And also I think just a family and specifically my dad really encouraging both my sister and I to choose a profession that could make a meaningful contribution to the world, like healthcare and really to help people. 
and make society better. So that was always a focus. Um, in all honesty, encouraged both of us to go into medicine. And I kind of went down that track. And just as I learned more about it, it just didn't resonate with who I am. And um, in terms of the holistic aspect or the lack thereof that I saw in medicine at the time as a nurse focused more on kind of the biopsychosocial, spiritual aspects of, of human beings really resonated with me. And a friend of mine's mom was a nurse and she would come home and talk about patients she cared for at the bedside kind of minute by minute. And I knew that's where I wanted to be. Wow. That's great. You've talked a lot about, uh, curiosity to learn and helping people, which has definitely been a benchmark of your career. Could you tell us a little bit about what led you to focus on outcomes specifically during your time at Texas Children's in Houston? Yeah. Um, you know, if I could distill it down to two words, I think the word, two words I would use are advocacy and justice. And those might not be words that immediately come to mind when you think about outcome measurement. Um, but yet what drew me was first, you know, taking care of patients at the bedside. I was a pediatric critical care nurse. Um, and then I focused early in my career on taking care of children after critical heart surgery. So um, I was at the bedside and as you took care of patients at the bedside, I mean, I often saw just ways our system was broken and it just kept feeling like a repeat every day. And I, and I, I love taking care of my one patient or two. Um, sometimes it was more than that, but in our patients, and yet I, I knew I needed to make a bigger impact for more families. Um, and with respect to outcomes, I also had the opportunity to really see what a difference in outcomes meant. Um, you know, I trained at one particular pediatric hospital and, and was able to see what happened after surgery, you know, critical heart surgery for children. And what I noticed is children weren't really leaving the ICU as quickly as, as maybe they could. And, um, you know, and, and they would just stay there and yes, maybe over time they would eventually leave. And I was like, Hmm, and then I had an opportunity to go to a different pediatric hospital, one that had really well-renowned outcomes. And what I saw just even at the bedside, taking care of the patients was remarkably different. It was children leaving, you know, getting their surgery healed and better and moving on and getting home a lot faster. And that's what parents want. That's what children need is to get home. And so I visibly saw the effects of a place that focused on good outcomes. And when I saw that, it just made sense that we needed to not only do that in congenital heart care, um, which is where I kind of got my teeth, you know, I cut my teeth with respect to outcomes measurement, but really all areas of medicine and healthcare. And I remember you talking about this a bit, but when you were at Texas Children's, you guys kind of pioneered some of this. I mean, you guys set up some of the outcomes measurement and tracking, um, which ultimately led, if I remember correctly, to Texas Children's becoming ranked like number one in pediatric heart, if I, if that, if I have that right. Yes. Uh, what, maybe, could you just talk a little bit about that experience, like what it was like to start that from scratch? Yeah, sure. And then, um, absolutely. And I think it'll tie into what what I meant by advocacy earlier on. Um, and so, yeah, what 
what the amazing opportunity that I had was um, to go and work for the congenital heart surgery team at that hospital. And at the time they had been kind of in practice with a new clinical paradigm for about 10 years, you know, one that was focused on having a dedicated team of specialists um, focused on evidence-based protocols, you know, really follow and minimizing variation in, in care, meaning not every person did things a different way. It was going to be the best standard known at the time that was going to be done for surgery. And, um, and so what happened was at that point, the head of that program, the chief of the service said, you know, we need to start measuring our outcomes, like really diligently. I mean, they were keeping track, but we needed to really make that a concerted effort. And so, yes, we had, I, you know, jumped at the opportunity. I don't, think he stuttered before I said, yes, I want to join your team and work on this. Um, but at the time we didn't have an electronic medical record. Um, so we had to literally go back and count by hand. And I, and I will say this is early two thousands. This wasn't, you know, <laughs> decades and decades ago. I mean, this yeah. is recent times, but the most reliable information was in these books and we count them and put them in an Excel spreadsheet to start and so from there, it was just very meticulous. I call it like, it's like forensics when you're digging for the truth. And that's where the advocacy part comes in. Um, and then finally, Stephen, just, and Stephanie, just thinking about, we were motivated to answer questions that, that families were asking during consultation. So they would literally come and want to know, well, will my child survive this surgery? They were told they may not survive. Do you know if they'll survive? How often do they survive? How often do they not? What happens after surgery? Will they go to kindergarten? These are all the questions that we needed to have answers to because that's what was right for the parents. It's how they would make a good decision about what to do in that situation. Um, and frankly, that type of information is just lacking and it's a void for parents and families. Um, and I just, I guess, you know, I just really believe that they deserve to know that the one other example that I want to share that I think is so poignant and it, um, it's, it shows that it's, it's a problem in every aspect of healthcare. So a friend of mine is a pediatric plastic surgeon and, and she would tell me the same thing. She'd be in consultation with families and they would ask, and um, for example, if their child was born with a cleft lip or palate, um, and you guys know what that is, uh, but you can imagine as a family, as a parent, just thinking, oh my gosh, is my child going to get bullied after what, the surgery and how are they going to look? And can they talk right? Can they eat right? And she would share with me that they don't really, there was no answer to that question, not a true answer to that question for that family from that care provider. And often data that's quoted statistics from medical journals and things like that are, are not relevant to that person sitting in the chair across the room. And that's what we owe to patients and families. I like how you tied that in. And I like how you, I know advocacy is, is something that you care about. And, and, you know, maybe we'll talk a little bit later about some of your volunteer work and, and the stuff you've done. And I, I, I appreciate how you can tie that into the work that you're doing and um, I think that's a really nice connection that you've been able to to make there. Um, I know after you spent a considerable amount of time at Texas Children's, you decided to move over to Austin um, and join the Value Institute for Health and Care at the University of Texas uh, at Austin with Dr. Teisberg, who we had on the show, and and a few others. Um, you know that, that are that are doing great work. 
just would love to maybe hear from your perspective why you made that transition and then what kind of work you're doing there. Oh yeah. Thank you. Well, it really was an opportunity of a lifetime to go work with uh, Elizabeth Ticeberg and, and Scott Wallace. I had read Redefining Healthcare during um, my master's program. And I remember going, oh my gosh, we can actually do something about healthcare. Up until that point, I was getting to a point where I thought, I don't think I don't think it's fixable. Like, I don't really think we can. And in all honesty, there are days I think now I still feel that way, but we're going to try. Um, but no, what I, what I really appreciated about the book was just um, a, the focus on outcomes, like the focus on what we can do to improve outcomes for patients and families and how that would make a tremendous difference in the healthcare system. Tremendous difference if we focused on that and that alone could make a huge difference. And the fact that, um, she proposed, you know, it's not a silver bullet to fix healthcare. And so often what is discussed in, you know, media reports and other places is it's always these one-liner solutions to our healthcare system crisis and the problems that it faces. And it's a complex system and it won't be fixed with one solution. It takes a lot of people and a lot of thoughts and ideas and they need to come aligned. And we'll talk about that later. But that's um, so when they started the Institute, going back to your question, Stephen, um, we had a chance to talk and there was an opportunity for me to join the team. And I said, absolutely, I would love to really implement this model um, for healthcare transformation, the value-based model. And again, I think we'll talk about that word a little later, because I think it's important to unpack value. It means different things to different people. And I want to spend time a little bit on what it means to us. I love that, you know, we're talking about high stakes medical care, like pediatric related surgery, these complex surgical care, post-op care that impacts a child and beyond. But the, the value-based care that you're describing, I feel like could and should be applied to all aspects of healthcare, you know, even beyond this high stakes or high risk. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about how value-based care is the best way to ensure good clinical outcomes across the entire healthcare space? Mm, that's a great, great question. I mean, I will, I will like to just say, I probably don't know if there's a best way um, because I think there's lots of um, partnerships that have to happen and alignments that have to happen in the space for it to work. But having said that, you know, value-based care fundamentally is about improving patient outcomes. It in, about the outcomes that matter to them, getting people back to doing what they want to be doing as quickly as possible. And I'll give you a, an example. And I think it speaks to what you're talking about, Stephanie, about it being applied everywhere in healthcare. So I have a family member who's having terrible sciatic nerve pain right now, just terrible oh. um, elderly um, or senior, uh, not elderly, he's very spunky. Um, <laughs> But recently, you know, had to go to the emergency room because oh, he couldn't gosh. get in to get anything. His pain is still not under control. He don't know, he doesn't know where to go. And I think to myself, sciatic is not a new problem. I mean, think about how many people have sciatic nerve pain. How many people actually know um, how to improve it, improve care and help people. And that's the kind of thing where I thought to myself, wouldn't, why couldn't someone say, you know, I've treated this many patients with this treatment and these are my results for success. 
And honestly, that's all we're asking for with value-based care. I mean, I'm simplifying it, but you know, improving outcomes, let me say it that way, is teams knowing I helped someone. Did I help someone? Did I not help someone? If we're not helping anyone, what are we doing and how do we change that? So um, it's a, we'll talk again more, but it's a realignment of incentives and focus on what the healthcare system should be about. Actually, you know, I think it would be worth digging in a little bit deeper here because I know that um, there are there are misconceptions around what is outcomes measurement and the word quality is thrown around a lot. Um, and that was something we wanted to ask you about. And I think you hit on it a bit. So can you maybe just hit on like the difference between outcomes and quality and and maybe are there any common confusions maybe you'd like to debunk about these two? <laughs> Yeah, I think just simply, um, if I think about this, outcomes are the ultimate measure of quality. If we really improved healthcare or health for a person in their eyes, meaning they feel helped and they can go on doing the things in their life that they want to do, then that means, you know, we've improved. And that's quality to me. Now it doesn't mean, so right now the healthcare quality space, you know, there's a lot of measures. We measure processes and compliance and licensure and certifications and all of you know, for, for clinical providers, we measure whether hospitals are safe or not and the facilities. And all of those things are absolutely important and necessary. Yeah. They are absolutely important and necessary in service of improving outcomes. And so what I think that's why I think outcomes is the ultimate measure of quality because all of the processes, all of the facilities, all of the people need to come together and work toward one goal, helping that patient get better. So and if that's you put it. it in like layman's terms, would you say that the outcomes are, are maybe what dictate quality or I think, cause I just think a lot of people don't know, like if you say, what's the quality of that doctor, there's at least a conceptual idea of what that means, but I don't think people understand like how, how do you actually say is it is it you know their bedside manner is it how many times they've done that procedure like, like maybe that's what's a challenge oh my gosh it, I'm so glad you're asking this question because I think the other thing I'd want to say is I don't know if it's always on patients or people's radar screen to even frankly expect that they will get the state-of-the-art care Mm -hmm. at a time that they need it the most and at a time they're ready for it. You know, there, I feel like in our healthcare system, there is just an expectation that you're going to call around five times to find a doctor, get an appointment, right? So that's not quality. If you are spending, you know, three months trying to get an appointment to see a mental health provider, that's a pro that's not quality. And, and again, one could say that's a problem with getting to, you know, an access issue. You can't access a provider. You can't get to a provider. And that is important. And we need to be looking at if you can't even get to a healthcare provider, you're not going to get a chance at getting better. So the outcomes aren't going to get better either. Um, and so I guess, you know, when I think about what I hope people realize is that they can expect more, but honestly, see, I don't know if they know what to expect. What I think families feel the most now is the cost burden of healthcare. Yeah. I would agree with that. Um, and speaking of, we recently, or we saw that you recently received a grant from the Episcopal Health Foundation to improve health outcomes of children 
with medical complexity by improving the parent caregiver well-being. Uh, congratulations. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about the work you'll be doing with that? Well, I'm, I'm so excited about it, Stephanie, and I'm so um, honored to be part of it. So I have the chance to work with a um, brilliant pediatrician who runs the comprehensive care clinic at Dell Children's and, and her whole team there is phenomenal. Um, and we are partnered with two incredible parents of children who are seen there and we are co-leading this together. And I want to stress that because they aren't providing advice per se in many ways that patient advisory groups are used today. They have real input into the design of what we're going to do. And what we're planning to do is really really reimagine how the well, you know, what is usually called the well child check for a child with medical complexity is done. And the first thing we did, and this was based on a parent suggestion is we changed the name of that well child check to whole child visit. Because as one parent said, you know, in her mind, her child who is fragile medically, who may not live into adulthood, the idea of going to a well check doesn't conjure up feelings that are happy because that's not the state of her child. I mean, her child is doing great. Her child is love, you know, has a wonderful quality of life and it's different for her child. And she said, I want my child to be looked at as a whole child. And so we said, let's right. do that. So in this visit, what we plan to do, if you can imagine, and let me give you a little context about children with complex medical needs. So they represent really only like less than 1% of the popular pediatric population, but they incur probably over a third of the costs. Um, and that's because of all of the, you know, the services that they need and, um, equipment, technology, and things like that. They require a lot of subspecialty care oftentimes, and there's lots of different um, segments within that group. So I'm generalizing a bit, but just to give you a sense that, you know, one patient might have, you know, a neurologist, a neurosurgeon, or an orthopedic surgeon, as well as the primary care doctor. And if you can imagine that patient and parent has to load up into their van or other automobile and or bus, um, and try to get to every single visit to try to coordinate care. For, for their child. And, and each visit they're explaining over and over what's going on, right? There's, they are the only bearer of all that communication. What we intend to do is bring all of those people together in one virtual visit and come together around what are the goals for that child? What, what does the parent want to achieve in terms of health goals for that child and how we're going to address well-being of the parent is address their isolation in feeling like they're the only ones fighting for the health of their child. And they're often felt, they often feel very, um, and again, I'm not trying to use generalities. It's just, these are some of the, this is some of the feedback that we've gotten from our families in particular, that they feel isolated from the healthcare system. You know, once they're discharged, it's from the hospital. It's like, you're on your own call. So-and-so call so-and-so. And so what we're trying to do is support them and their well-being. And then finally, you know, really create a partnership and a connection between the clinical care provider team as well as the parent and the child. 
And it's not, it's even deeper than empathy. It is really about recognizing that this person has values and intent and um, has has a worthwhile perspective that needs to be incorporated into the care planning. And, you know, again, I, I, I could take up too much time talking about this, but I'm, I'm learning a lot about how, even when we talk about patient centered care, or even when we think we are doing it right by families, by having them there often in the healthcare system as a provider, I still feel like I'm in charge. Like, I'm still going to call the shots. I'm going to still decide how this is going to go. And what we want is a true feeling of partnership. The last point I'll make that's important is that it's also about the care provider. So they are often in a position where they're spending hours and hours of their precious time filling out forms, making calls they don't need to be made, administrative work that's unnecessary and bureaucratic. And it's exhausting. And they have no emotional energy to give to their patient and family. And what we want to do is also alleviate some of that. So we have partners at um, HHSC and with, um, and with the managed care company, and we're going to look at how we can relieve some of that administrative burden that frees up, you know, emotional space and time so that families and care providers can really connect. That's amazing. So it's not just that the language change of the whole child visit, it's looking at this as a whole care provider support because they are a part of the team. They're not just, they're not just the messenger carrying the latest medical reports back and forth. They are a true part of the team. And, and so many times they know that child best and being able to bring them in and bring their thoughts in and support them in the best way possible, freeing up their time and that mental capacity. That's, that's incredible. Thank you. We're excited. Um, the one other thing I'll say about it, um, you know, if you can imagine these patients also have to coordinate with durable medical equipment companies, private duty nursing. I mean, the list goes on and on. And so we are trying to get everyone on the same page And, and, you know, the parents don't want to be the bearer of the medical information. They recognize they're limited in that way. They're like, we're not the doctor, but they find themselves having to serve in that role. And it's a role they don't want to be in. And so that's part of it. So you, you kind of hit the nail on the head, Stephanie, about that. Man, I, I, uh, I, I love the kind of work that you're doing. I think it's, it's making a difference. And it it goes back to what you said earlier about advocacy and, you know, um, justice. And I think they really, really tie into that. So I've always been a fan of, of what you're doing, Kathy. Um, thank you. One Can of I the- add one thing? Of course. Yeah, go Sorry, ahead. I know where so you're, you oh. realize how long winded I was, but well, when you brought up justice, I, the reason, you know, I wanted to kind of expound on that is it's something with respect to the whole child visit that is important is eliminating to the extent that we can, the power dynamic, and the hierarchy between the clinical care providers and that and the parents. And we're really committed to that. Um, and, and that's where, again, the justice piece, I think, comes in because everyone deserves to have the information that they need to make a good decision. They deserve to be heard and what they say valued. And so when it really, you know, when we, there shouldn't be something that one party knows that the other doesn't 
any more, you know, in healthcare, when you said Stephanie high stakes, I can't imagine another place where, um, you wouldn't want to have the information needed before you went into a discussion about such important matters. Absolutely. Thanks for adding that. And I, I'm glad you did that. I think that is, is important. And I want to make sure you get a chance to, to really hit on some of those key topics. Um, what I, what, really, I think one of the things that led to this whole conversation, like the, re- the reason we ended up chatting and saying, hey, we should, we should do a podcast was, I know that you are working on a book um, related to outcomes measurement. Um, we got to read, a, you know, a snippet of it. I think back a couple, year, two, year, over a year ago now, a year and a half ago, when I was a student, um, and I found it to be extremely valuable. And that was, you know, a rough draft of the first few chapters. Could you maybe talk a little bit about um, the book you're writing? Uh, maybe give our listeners a taste of what it, what it will cover, and chat a bit about why you're writing it. Sure. Um, in I just wanted to create a simple handbook, like a guide to help it with, and first it was really with clinicians to help them measure their outcomes. And it came up because when I was, we had established our uh, service, you know, at Texas children's for outcomes and impact and measuring that, um, I had so many teams come to me and clinicians say, well, how do I do this? How do I measure outcomes? Um, I had administrators eventually asking too, like, well, we, we are committed to measuring outcomes. How do we do that? And so um, I was inspired by a book that my colleague um, gave to me on how to write. It was literally called How to Write. And I was like, oh, that's helpful. <laughs> and I picked it up and I'm like, you know, what a brilliant idea, like just a little bitty handbook that you could reference on how to do something. And I'm a very practical person and I feel like we need something. I, there was just not a manual type of book that um, someone could just have on their shelf and reference and say, okay, I want to measure this. How do I even start? And it, it's very hard. It's an overwhelming process. And there's lots of ways you can say that, you know, frankly, you could say, I don't want to do it, or I can't do it. I don't have time. And so I wanted to make it simpler for people. So that's the hope um, is that it just is a handy handbook to help people get started. I think that's needed, honestly. Uh, it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't exist. Like I, I, I think of all the areas in healthcare that I've learned about the outcomes measurement and quality side is the it needs the most work, you know, and I, which I'm glad you're doing it. And when people ask me about it, I'm like, you should talk to Kathy Garber because she knows. <laughs> but it, but I'm really glad you're Agreed. doing it because it, and, and Stephanie can talk to this too, because she does a lot of work with our products and our app and, and, and the data piece. Like it's really hard to present quality. And so anyway, I, I'm glad that you're doing what you're doing. It, it is, it is tough. And going back to the book of just how to do something, how to understand how to do something, One of the biggest challenges with outcomes measurement is that it is difficult for patients to not only receive the information, but to know how to use it when making decisions for their healthcare. And this is something that we're trying to work on as a company to make that a little easier. How can this kind of data that we're talking about be presented or displayed or given uh, to a patient so that they could actually use it? It's a great Great question. Um, because we, one of the things that we did is worked with our, um, when I was at Texas Children's, we worked with our marketing department on strategies for how to make, you know, because they're the experts in speaking to public audiences. And I wanted to leverage their expertise and knowledge. And so we spent a lot of time talking about how do you, you know, what colors do you use? How, what makes sense? What kind of graph? And 
And that's important. I think what's more important is that A, the outcomes are there somewhere. And it's a conversation starter that you have a place, you need a place to go and talk about what you're seeing and make sense of it. And so I haven't seen, um, I just don't think anything replaces a conversation with someone you trust about what those data mean. And we, you know, we had an email that people could write to us and, and it was great. And they would ask great questions. Um, you know, for example, there's a lot of, um, benchmarking organizations out there. And, uh, they would call when they would call me and say, I found out about XYZ service. And I read on, on this benchmarking site that they are, you know, number one or number two, and they, and they don't understand really, um, they needed good help, like really to understand what those data meant. And I don't mean to say that they weren't intelligent. It's just, there's all of this, um, these considerations to be made with how healthcare quality is measured that I wanted families to know. Um, again, this goes back to the justice issue. You know, there's always something that a parent needs to understand or a patient needs to understand that may not be obvious in the data that's presented in the way it's presented. And so to get to the truth of it and get to the bottom of it, you really do have to, I think, talk to people, but at a first step, we need to get it out there. And then we need to encourage people to research and look. And I still think that's a place of um, challenge and opportunity, I should say. I think that's still, an, I think there is still a prevailing, or there's a lot of people who will frankly just trust blindly. And I just want to say that you shouldn't <laughs> to people if I can. And I know it's hard because it takes so much work, but I, I applaud what you all are doing because if you can make it easy for people to get this information, then I think then they will want it um, and they'll continue to get it. And the demand will go up and up for that type of information. Yes, we're very much facing the same thing. It's the, the simplification mm -hmm. of complex data and then uh, teaching or talking it through in a way that makes sense so that patients aren't focused so much on the terminology, but rather comprehending what are the right choices for me. And right. it is it is tough. It's, yes. We picked a tough challenge. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, and you talked about cost earlier, like we, we've focused m more on cost as a, as a company to date. And we're, we're really trying to dive deeper into quality and what we can do there in measurement. Um, but even with cost, it's hard because it's like, you know, comparing a, a, an inclusive price versus an uninclusive price. Whereas, you know, on one side, you're just seeing the surgeon's fee on the other, it includes everything that goes with it. And it's just, there's so many little examples of how hard it is to really to navigate yeah. healthcare. Um, it's well, really one, it is, I'm sorry, Stephen. Uh -huh. um, well, I just wanted, it came to mind when you were talking of that one of the other really cool things I'm excited about with the, with the whole child visit work is, you know, there's of course an outcome measure component, but what's really awesome is we are working on co-creating outcome measures with parents. And one of the things that's been so enlightening is when I sent them several different tools that we could use um, as part of our proposal to measure, for example, loneliness. And I, the family, you know, the work group got back to me and I think they were a little shy about saying it, but they did, which was fine. And they said, well, none of these really fit what we're trying to measure. Like it doesn't describe our experience. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, why would it? Because it probably wasn't created with the people that experience and live this every single day. And so I think that kind of the next, I hope, um, 
innovation could be that we would co-create measures with people. So we would hear from them what they want, but even get some really develop questionnaires with them. And that's one of the hopes that we're going to have with, with this project as well. And then perhaps maybe what happens is we're measuring things in a way that people who experience it really understand it. And then it's relatable. And so then when they're, so, you know, just thinking about this. So instead of us figuring out what looks right, what they might want, how this is to be presented, if we co-create, you know, it's almost too late at that point because we've already thought of it in our context. What we need to do is probably dial back and say, okay, let's partner with people who are experiencing this. You tell me how this would be best received. How would you want this information? What would you want it to tell you? And that's what we're, that's one of our other goals. And so that could be a way. Yeah, I love that. Uh, Partnering and figuring out uh, together as a team. Uh, What are, who are the key players in the healthcare industry that you think can have the greatest impact on making outcomes measurement more common or uh, more easy to speak to? Um, You know, I think really it's going to take people, the people, the public, to really expect that this is normal. And I do think that's still an uphill battle, which I've alluded to. Um, You know, I've talked to families who are so good at doing their research and finding out where to go. Um, the challenge then becomes if you have access to that place. So that's a whole other set of problems. If you even find the best place, and I'll use best in quotes, but if you find the place you want to go to that offers the care you need and you can't get there, that's so that's got to change too. Um, but I do think if enough people said, wait a minute, I could get a I could get better care there and that then I'm going to go there. And I, why don't I have this information? And they just start asking their doctor more. I encourage people to go and ask their doctor more. You won't always get a, a favorable response, but I do think asking, um, well, and because we need the law of large numbers on our side, as, as my husband, the business person would say. And so if we have a lot of people that demand it, I'm hopeful that providers will do it. The cynical side of me says that you know, provider and payer organizations have no incentive to really do it other at the current time, other than it's the right thing to do. It's the moral thing to do. Other than that, there really isn't an incentive unless we create one through the public. We have to create. Yeah, actually, that hits on a point we've talked about in the past. Like that's something we care about is we want to drive patients to providers and facilities that are being upfront about their pricing. And so what we want to do is we want to reward those groups. So we like when people come to us and they say, where should I go for this X? So we should go, you should go there because they're going to tell you the price upfront. And then ideally we'll also be able to include in additional information like outcomes and, and quality measurement. But, but I totally agree with you that, and your husband, that we have to create some kind of market demand or else, unfortunately, you know, and I'm a capitalist, but in the capitalistic system, the the entity is not going to do something unless there's an incentive. So yeah. So anyway, a bit of a tangent there, but but totally agree with you that we have to we have to create that incentive. Um, and I know we're getting a little bit to the end of your time. We've got a bunch of questions to ask still, but I, I did want to ask you on on a personal note, um, a little bit about about Kathy. So I know you're an active volunteer, um, with a couple of groups. I'm I'm I like um Living Water International and Mission Waco. I lived in Waco for four years when I was at Baylor, so did a bunch of work with them, went to the Church of the Bridge, all that stuff. Um, 
Could you just talk a little about why you volunteer, how those those volunteer organizations are a part of your life and, and the work that you do? Oh, um, I wish I could do more is I think the first thing that comes to my mind. Like, I really wish I could do more. Um, but I think, you know, I try to live with the two tenants and, you know, in my faith that are important and key is to love God first and then love your neighbor as yourself. It's what I believe. And so I look around and my neighbors are everywhere. Um, and I feel like I got that really loud message at, at mission Waco first at church under the bridge and, and had got to know people experiencing homelessness and they were my neighbors and we got to know each other. And then, you know, thinking about our neighbors worldwide and thinking about how they lack basic needs like water. I mean, water, I mean, a basic human need and how can I help with that? And then I think also, you know, I grew up overseas and I just feel like it's so important to, you know, just serve, think about the world um, as our, as one, I mean, as, as I'm a part of, I'm a member of our, our world and I need to serve everywhere. And, you know, finally, I, I mean, again, I, I wish I did more, but I'm hopeful um, I, that I can help, or I'm hoping to help also with um, the Afghan refugee crisis and, you know, signed up lately for refugee services of Texas, hoping yeah. to provide some, some help. But the good news is there, they have a lot of volunteers, which, <laughs> is is wonderful but yeah i need to we're, love we're our neighbors doing, we're doing a, I think we're doing a bake sale for them or something i think my awesome. wife my wife said we're uh making stuff to sell it with our church for, for them so yeah I, I love i love all that that you're you referenced and um i know those are great groups and i just i think i think that speaks a little bit to, to you and who you are and kind of what you care about and and, and absolutely kathy it just comes through so loud and clear your mission and helping others i i'm gonna ask one more question of you about helping others. What are your go-to resources that you point people toward to help educate them on outcomes measurements and quality in healthcare? How can we help them a little bit more? Oh my gosh. Um, I don't know if I can answer that question. <laughs> I don't like anything that's out there. Your book is published. You can send them to your books. Yeah. I mean, you know, in, in all honesty, and this is uh, this is really not to be self-serving um, at all. And I, I would point them to the Value Institute for Health and Care. I mean, I think that we could have a conversation with a lot of people about what healthcare, you know, I mean, I'm happy to have a conversation, frankly. I mean, you can send them people my direct email. I mean, I would love to talk to more people about this and help explain um, and frankly, understand what people's pain points are um, for understanding. So I would say, I'm sorry, I can't really answer it. I just know too much about how data are gathered and driven and what's behind it to really feel like there is a, like a single source you can trust. Um, the one thing I have thought about recently that is, that is probably maybe decent advice is, you know, if, and Stephen and I have talked about this, like if you shop for a car or if you are getting quotes on a contractor or something, you're probably going to a few different places. Like you wouldn't just probably go with the first person. And yet oftentimes, and you know, and you kind of know what you want. I mean, you think about quality, but you, you know, the stakes are even higher for healthcare. And usually we go to the first person that we find on, on a list, or maybe we ask someone and that's helpful. But um, I would just encourage people to do their research um, 
do their research and don't be afraid to ask questions. And we'll talk about that in, in our podcast about, you know, really picking up the phone and calling and getting answers. If you can get answers. Actually, um, hit on what your podcast is too, Kathy, because I know you mm-hmm. have one that's coming up. You, you mentioned your podcast. Maybe you want to just say what that is. Oh yeah. It's, um, it's come. I mean, I, <laughs> I hope I don't overpromise because we're still okay. developing it, but it's, um, it's called a better journey and we really want to build, you know, transform healthcare. So that it's a better journey for people, better outcomes, better results, better experiences. Um, and so what we'll do is we'll start off by, um, a conversation with me and a very dear friend who did Stephanie, what I'm encouraging people to do. And she sought out the best for her daughter, um, who needed critical heart surgery. And we're going to go through her experience with that and, um, and talk about all the different ways that healthcare has an opportunity to improve. Um, we're also going to get to hear the perspective of, you know, others in healthcare, you know, why, you know, there aren't, it's easy to blame people. And what we want to try to do is really shift it from blame to understanding perspective and coming to alignment so that we can achieve a common goal and a common good. Um, I think the one other thing I'll say is, and I can only speak for pediatric hospitals. um, I do think that if you have a pediatric need that many hospitals now are putting their outcomes on their websites and it's worth going to. And again, it's a start of a conversation and you can, usually there's a phone number you can call. Don't be shy and call it and ask for, you know, the quality department or the outcomes department and ask information, but a lot of them are out there. And that's different than when I started this like 15 years ago. So it's a start. Awesome. Well, I think we are at the end of our time, unfortunately. Uh, so I did just want to end it with, um, where, where would you send folks to learn more about what you're doing and, and kind of have folks connect with you? Um, I guess email. So maybe, um, I don't know how that works on a podcast, but, um, we can go and contact us through the value Institute website. I have a LinkedIn profile. I, yeah. So LinkedIn is probably, but yeah, if there's ever a way to you post my um, email, I'm happy with that. So people can reach out directly to me. Awesome. Thank well, you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, definitely. Love the conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks, Stephen. Thanks, Stephanie. I enjoyed it too. I really feel honored that uh, to be invited. And I love what y'all are working on. Stephen knows that. I've been following what you've been doing. I feel like we connected at that very first you know, gathering at the Value Institute and the Room of Requirement. I just felt like we kind of had this um, connection about what we want to do in the world. So thanks for letting me be here. And Stephanie, it's great to, to meet you too. I hope we get to do something again together. Me too. Awesome. Well, y'all have a wonderful day. We will talk to you soon, Kathy. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thanks. Bye, y'all. Thank you. And that's a wrap on today's episode of the Point Health Podcast. It was an honor to speak with my former professor and friend, Kathy Carberry. Thanks again to Kathy for joining us today and sharing her extensive knowledge around healthcare outcomes measurement. I learned so much from her during my time in the Masters of Healthcare Transformation program at UT Austin. And honestly, I continue to learn from her every time we speak. Um, And I really hope that you did too. Healthcare measurement and outcomes measurement is such a difficult topic. Uh, I, I just really value her opinion on the matter. Be sure to follow Kathy and keep an eye out for her upcoming book on healthcare outcomes measurement, uh, which will surely be a wonderful addition to the conversation. 
We can't wait to share more conversations with health experts as we continue to build Point Health. So be sure to subscribe now so you get a heads up when future episodes drop. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.